All right, everybody, welcome back to the the podcast, Philosopher Change Podcast. We're um, man, had so many disruptions in the past couple of weeks, and now we've been sick and just like you know what, fuck it, I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna go for it. Uh, I've had this episode I've been sitting on for a while now. I've had all the research done, and it is. Let me get this mic set up here. Okay. And it is ancient Greek fitness slash uh, ancient Olympics. All right. Um, long, long, long time ago. All right. So let's start off with a, a quote here from Socrates. Let's see. No citizen has a right to be an amateur in the matter of physical training. What a disgrace it is for a man to grow old without ever seeing the beauty and strength of what his body is capable or of which his body is capable. But I think it's a great growth. It's, you know, Socrates, the the smart guy, the guy who was always, you know, saying all this smart stuff. The philosopher, he was jacked. He was super jacked. Um, these guys use this. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, the reason why he was so popular is because everybody knew him from the bathhouse or the gym or whatever. Because they go, these guys would go meet up, they go work out, and they go to the bathhouse and hang out. You know, get clean. Um, you know, have a little <laughs> made a man. You know, action going on in there. And uh, if you were smart, people listen to you and people listen to Socrates. Pretty interesting, right? So how did they get jacked? You know, how did they pull that off? Well, I mean, they kind of figured it out. So in ancient Greece, uh, so they had stone lifting, you know, just finding different sized stones and just picking them up and carrying them places and doing repetitive motions with them. I think they... Um, they had a, an understanding that, you know, lifting these heavy objects was going to create a certain kind of body, which I guess if you're paying attention to anybody doing manual labor, you're going to figure that out, right? And then I'm sure thinking about the um, the food that they're eating too, you know, they can kind of put everything together just by, you know, observing, you know, and, you know, they were smart back then too. So they also had calisthenics. So, I mean, they knew about push-ups, pull-ups and all that stuff. Any way to, to make your body um, try a little bit harder. And they also had these like these dumbbells that they that they made. Um, there's a specific name for them. I'll, I'll come up with it later. But they made these specific dumbbells for 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 weight training, and it's pretty cool. They're just like carved out of like rocks or whatever. It's it's kind of interesting. I think they used to be also be part of the some of the games that they would do too. They'd have to carry them. So, and this was practiced by you know soldiers, athletes, uh, patients. And like anybody who's going to be wanting to train their body, you know, that was the thing you did. Very cool. Um, part of the empire of Greece, Sparta. Everybody knows Sparta. I've seen the movie where they, you know, throw the, they're like deciding whether or not they're going to throw the baby into a fucking gorge because they don't know if it's good or not yet. And there's a guy checking it out to make sure it's not diseased or anything. <laughs> it's mad fucked up. But uh, at the age of six or seven, all male offspring in Sparta were required to continue on their fitness programs. They were thus required to undergo roughly five years of gymnastics or calisthenics in conjunction with sport and military training. Recreational boxing, for example, was a common pastime where it was combined with sport and weightlifting to build the troops, which defined Sparta's fierceness. So their whole thing was training to for combat, basically, right? That's why they were going to do gymnastics for movement, calisthenics for strength. And, um, you know, boxing to get that, you know, competitive fighting spirit thing going on, which uh, I, I guess it worked out for them because they were a military powerhouse for God knows how long. Someone knows how long. So that brings us to the Athenians, which were also from the same movie. 
but let's see. Under the influence of Greek physicians, Athenian athletes began to undertake strict forms of physical training and dieting prior to contests. Uh, according to Manning, athletes would spend roughly 10 months preparing for the Olympic Games held every four years in Olympia, focusing on diet and coaching, and they had primitive dumbbells, kettlebells. Oh, kettlebells too. Those are old school for training. Um, and they were only like 5 to 12 pounds a piece. You know, I mean, think about it. Uh, trying to find something that's small enough and it, it weighs that amount. You know, not so easy to do. But I guess that was all they needed because it it worked for them, right? Because they were all pretty jacked. Ah, uh, see, the Greek city-states regularly included gymnasiums as spaces for athletes to train. The word gymnasium itself is derived from gymnos, meaning naked, as Greek athletes typically train in their birthday suits. Which is, yeah, if you remember, like, the, um, if you ever seen anything of the old Olympics, it's like, it's nude. There was no, you weren't allowed to wear shoes. Like, the first um, thing that they came up with was marathon running or sprinting. Uh, some type of running. They just did different kinds of running. And you had to go do it nude. No shoes, no no cover-ups, no nothing. Um, I, I, I don't know if they did that just for the heck of it. I mean, something probably about being close to to Zeus or, or whatever. Who knows? That's a, It's such a weird one. Or just because it's like, um, you know, you strip every advantage that somebody could have and oof, you know, and you're in your birthday suit. And also... So women can't compete because that was really important. It's dudes only. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Uh, the gyms were used as, like we were talking about earlier, education center, uh, philosophy. And um, like this is where you went and, you know, this is where you went and learned from everybody who knew everything because that's where they would go. Because if you were going to be... Um, if you were like uh, in the upper echelon of society, that means that you had time to go to go lift and be, and be jacked or whatever you know provide that you weren't a professional athlete and uh so people would tend to listen to you no matter what you were doing so it really worked out for them all right uh let's see what else we got here man this research is so old <laughs> um milo of croton the sixth century bc athlete was credited with inventing progressive strength training wow he invented milo of croton sixth century bc so 600 BC, while this is a big claim, Milo's own story demonstrated as much as a young man, Milo dreamed of Olympic glory. And to that end, he repu reputed, reputedly carried a young bull on his shoulders every day for four years. As a bull, ooh, sorry, can't talk. As the bull grew older and larger, Milo's strength increased. His crude strength training was not in vain. Over the course of his athletic career, Milo won six Olympic gold medals. The bull's fate was not as, ro as rosy uh, as he ate him on its fourth birthday. So a four-year-old bull, how much do they weigh? Probably a lot. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, they didn't, they didn't care about animals at all because part of the opening ceremony of the original Olympics was slaughtering animals like crazy. Like they'd start with the, the black ram, but I've heard estimates that they've done up to like between like a hundred and a thousand of these things. And they would just like bathe the field in the, these things blood and then like start cooking them up while they were doing everything. And I think part of the um, wanting to be there at the games was that it was a nice hearty free meal because, you know, you wanted to show off that you had all this livestock. But uh, yeah, yeah, they didn't think a fuck about animals. Let's see. The sprint was the, the first and only game there. Um, they were adding more races. Like I think the, the, the high-tech race they had was you'd run down the field and then run around a pillar and then run back. 
And then uh, later on, they started adding like, you know, the long jumping with the, the weights, you know? And what's interesting is you think that if you're gonna do long jumping, that you wouldn't be carrying any extra weight, right? That, um, that would just make you go less further. But they had this technique that they would do. So as they were running up, they would jump and then they would throw the weights back. And the force of them throwing the weights back would make them go further than if they weren't holding the weights in the first place, right? Which is crazy, because it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Then they also came up with the um, you know the old school classics that we still have today: discus throw, the javelin throw, um, wrestling, boxing, and and anything goes fight and to the death. Sometimes it was just to the death, <laughs> like. I guess the uh, like the original MMA, you know, I'm not sure how stringent they were in the rules. They probably weren't that stringent because they're probably pretty bloodthirsty, you know. Um, and then one of the coolest events that you've probably seen in a bunch of movies, that was the uh, chariot race. And the chariots were typically driven by the, the slaves of the aristocrats. Um, and like because a normal person was not going to have their own chariot to go drive an event. Even if you were like a middle-class person, you, you don't, you don't have a freaking chariot, you know, that's, that's like very wealthy people. They're going to do that. And they might sponsor people to go to train and do that. And then like, that's your job is to train, to be in these chariots. But I mean, it's like insanely dangerous too. Like, right. If you're rich and wealthy, whatever, you don't want to be out there because they're like bumping into each other and there's horses. Like if you fall off, like there's a pretty good chance you're going to die. So you got to keep that in mind. And I thought there was more here. There isn't. Oh, boy. Okay. So what else did we learn about the ancient Greek Olympics? Hold on. Let me think about it. So I guess that's the, the majority of the, the ancient Olympics stuff going on there. I mean, there's a lot that was going on there. You know, this is about like a like a warship and honor and everything else. And it was one of these things that um, like even in wartime, you were allowed free passage to if you're going to the Olympics, right? That was like kind of like a like a sacred thing. Like if that's what you were doing, you were allowed to go. No problem. You know, nobody would nobody would mess with you. Nobody would try to murder you or anything like that because it was like this. Uh, it was like a, it was a big deal and it was held with honor, you know, because you didn't want another country to try to send its athletes to the, to the Olympics and then have them not show up because one, it's going to create hostility between the nations and two for the athletes. They're not going to feel too great if um, if their competition's dead. I mean, these are competitors, <laughs> you know, they're out there training for four years, you know. And I think some of these places 10 months prior, but they're specifically training to do this and to be the best. And they want to show off against the best to prove that they can beat them. If you want to show your superiority over another country, just like today, you want to have the, the best athletes that just and you want to have them beat the best athletes. Right. Because that's where that pride is going to come from. So they can bring those golds back and they're going to be treated very well once they get back, you know, and in some cases, very poorly if they come back with uh, nothing. And I don't think they didn't have medals in the ancient Olympics. I think that was only when it resurged back in like, I think it was like 1894 is when they, they started doing it again. But back in the day, it was just like these, um, these, you know, the, you ever seen those like olive hats or the olive crowns that they have there. So it'd be like different kind of like vinery for crowns that they give you. 
what do they call them? Uh, who knows? Like a tiara type of deal, but it's like, but it's leaves. So, but different kinds, I guess probably fancier ones if you're the winner. But I think at first there was only one winner. They didn't have a second or third place. It was winner takes all and that's it. So I guess all that stuff is kind of new. And you know what's really fucked up is that, you know how they have the whole like running of the torch thing now? I don't think they didn't have that back in the ancient Olympics. In fact, the first year they did that was when they were in Nazi Germany. Uh, Hitler started that trend of, of running of running this torch, which is weird that they just like continued on with it. I guess they thought it was cool and they weren't worried about, you know, who started it. And uh, like, uh, <laughs> I think the torch, how many times has the torch been put out here? Hold on, let me check. Okay, so I was checking the stats and it says that the Olympic flame has went out five different times. So it's not super common, but it's not uncommon either, right? With those kind of stats, not uncommon. So people like, uh, and it's probably happened more than that when people aren't looking, because I don't know if they have cameras on it the whole time. Like, I'm pretty sure I remember a video of a guy like trying to put, like he was carrying a, an untorched torch and he was trying to light it with like a Zippo on like the side of the road or something like that <laughs> from a while ago. But yeah, it, it goes out all the time. So it's not like, oh my God, but it's supposed to be like, I guess symbolic and everything, you know, and it's really important for Coca-Cola. So the thing is sell more soda and more real estate, I guess. So it's, it's important to, to uplift these great American companies. Um, yeah, yeah, but that all started, so I guess that was in the 40s or whatever, 1940s. So probably like 50 years after they reinvented it. And the whole launch of the reinvention thing, like now the Olympics is fucking crazy. If you've seen the, um, oh, what was it called? What was that movie on Netflix? The documentary Icarus? I think it's Icarus, right? It's about the guy who's going to be a, um, He's a cyclist, right? And he's like, well, I'm going to dope up like the, the rest of the guys are out there doping up and I'm going to see, you know, how I perform, you know, after I'm on a doping, you know, regimen. And uh, for that guy, he actually does worse, which is interesting. <laughs> like he gets bigger, he gets stronger and everything. But I think he had like too many technical difficulties. So it's not really apples to apples per se. Um, but yeah, he ended up performing worse. But during the course of this, they ended up finding out about, um, you know, these doping problems, particularly with Russia, because it was a guy in Russia and how they were finding ways to go around, you know, the, the doping testing, which, uh, I mean, duh, right? I, I My automatic assumption is that every Olympian ever, pretty much, I want to say 90% of them are doping in some fashion or form, right? Because it's not... Um, they just find ways to test it and specific drugs to, to make it illegal, but you can always come up with something different. You know, I don't think it's that hard. So yeah, yeah it's a, it's like a big deal. I'm at the point where I don't know if everybody else is at this point where you should just let like, they're already destroying their bodies, right? If you're an athlete, particularly in these, um, I'm going to say these, um, impact sports in particular, you know, like any type of combat, uh, football, you know, soccer, not soccer, rugby, maybe, um, and, you know, a plethora of combat sports. It's like they're already destroying their bodies. You know, your life expectancy goes down just by, just by doing those types of things. Right. It's crazy, isn't it? And we don't want their bodies to be at the, 
peak top shape like why wouldn't we want that <laughs> i mean if they're gonna do it anyway might as well just let everybody do it that's what i think because we you know the technology's there and i guess we're just you know comparing chemists to chemists and then i guess you know money's getting involved but i mean if we're looking at you know broke amateurs they're not unless they're like putting all their money into it that i mean they're probably all pretty even for the most part you know because i don't even think they're really testing you know with the lower ranks or whatever and i'm not sure that they're really testing at the higher ranks in a lot of these different leagues um you know they they're really trying in the olympics obviously um kind of a big deal but it's also like if you saw that documentary you should go watch it because it is uh you know it's a humongous claim to to say that an entire country is conspiring um, about using steroids in the Olympics. That was like, it was such a, it's such a big deal, you know, because <laughs> it's like, uh, especially when it's a, you know, a country like Russia who is already like, you know, they already got a, a lot going on there. And, um, and there's a lot of money in getting Russia to come to the Olympics. So it's, it's difficult. And not to mention that a lot of these people on these different committees that are making these decisions and deciding these things, like they're all corrupt as shit, right? No doubt. Like um, they take these handouts and lavish parties and they're going on these crazy vacations when they're trying to get like uh, when they're picking a place to to stay pretty much every single year or every four years or two years, you know, four years, Olymp uh, winter, four years, summer. Every time, if you look at the committee that decides where they're going, you guarantee all those guys' bank accounts are going to be inflated, you know, during the decision making process. That's just how that game is played. Um, there's just nothing you can do about it. And there must be good money and prestige and everything in there because you're trying to get you're trying to get the rest of the world to come to your your country and your city. That's the whole objective, right? So that. Once the Olympics are over, you know, the tourism can increase because people will see it on TV from all over the world and they'll think like, wow, that place looks so nice. And they'll do some crazy shit. Uh, in America, even, the land of the free, I think they, where do they have it? I think it was when they did it in Atlanta or Chicago. Oh, man. Well, anyways, they did it in some city. And the, the mayor of the city just locked up everybody. <laughs> that they had any suspect that they were um, going to commit an offense of any kind whatsoever, be it pickpocketing or theft or, or um, uh, violent tendencies or anything. If, if they were even suspected that they might, if you were suspected that you might do something wrong, they locked you up until the event was over, which is really fucked up, right? And, <laughs> like, it's just nuts. The And the thing that, I mean, every country is doing this, every city is doing this. That's just... That's just how the Olympic works. It's all about appearance, right? Um, huge, huge, huge deal. So if we look at the old style of, I mean, we get the same type of training now, I guess, as we did back then, which you would call it progressive overload, as a guy Milo figured out, you know, way back in the day. He's like, if you want to get stronger, you got to keep lifting heavier and heavier shit or doing, you know, more reps. Like he had the, the bull, he was carrying the bull around and he's basically doing these farmer's walks with this bull that's getting heavier and heavier and heavier you know as it gets older and that's progressive overload that's what they do nowadays too same exact thing except it's going to be a little bit more scientific with the um you know because we're just at a point right now you just got to figure like to go to the old old school olympics the ancient olympics whatever like you had to walk there um and i'm sure that they were trying as hard as they could using every bit of knowledge that they had 
and to to get whatever edge that they that they could but also not it was the olympics and everybody was invited but not everybody was invited you know what i mean it was only it wasn't like a you know not everybody was welcome to come there you know because people been racist for mad long um so now that we have a actual worldwide one now it's uh you know you get to see the strength and weaknesses of all these different countries which is pretty interesting but they're all gonna have that same type of crazy training that they're all gonna do have you ever seen um the olympic weightlifters you've seen the lifts that they do those are some crazy lifts right those guys have explosive power which is a not something that that's something that you very specifically have to train for and those guys are like destroying their bodies really bad um so I mean, when you're at that, like, think about it, trying to be the best in the world at something, you know, how perfect your diet has to be, your sleep schedule, um, your, the way that you train, you know, these very specific things. And oh, it's absolutely wild to me, you know, just how perfect everything has to be. And not only do you have to train absolutely perfect for years and years and years of absolute perfect training and then go there and then you have to have that system so that you know that uh like six weeks or eight weeks before you're going to make these these lifts or perform this task that you're going to go do that you have to have another very specific you know regimen that you're going to follow and i think people are always trying to figure that part out you know what do you do six weeks out eight weeks out you know two months out what's the you know what's the play and it's, um, you know, that part's hard to figure out. And even up until five minutes before the lift, you know, what, you know, what, how full are you supposed to be? Are you supposed to be warmed up at all? How warmed up do you get? It, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on there. And if you know that if you go to the, um, if you're a gym goer, you know that, you know, you can go, if you go three days a week, you could, if you went three days a week and did the same workout three times that week, like one day it would be easy, then another day it would be super difficult, and another day it would feel even different because just the shit that you're doing, your diet, what you did that day, you know, it it all just all plays into everything. You know, I think that's why people like doing it in the morning because it's you wake up, full night's rest, you go in. It doesn't matter. You're not taking into account what you did that day. It's just, you know, that's the first thing you're doing. So I think that's where that the advantage comes from from doing that. Um. But yeah, there's just so much minutia that goes into it. It's absolutely insane. Mm. And I thought I had way more about these ancient Olympics. I think, you know what I did? You know what I probably did? I know what I did. Um, I think I listened to other uh, books. I was I read it, listened to an audio book about this like a month ago <laughs> and a few podcasts about it like a month ago because I've had this sitting here. But we just had... Well, I had just so much other stuff going on that absolutely wild stuff. So it just wasn't possible to to keep that, you know, in the memory. So uh, hopefully I remembered enough of it to make this somewhat entertaining. I think probably a lot of people know probably a lot of this stuff, but it's always, it's always nice to get a like little refresher just to know, you know, what they were, just how long that we've had this, this system in place of, um, a bodybuilding and just knowing that Socrates is jacked is pretty cool, I guess, too. I love that fact. Just that this this nerd <laughs> that we like you think you think like this skinny little guy. Or if you remember Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, you remember that movie? And they 
went and grabbed Socrates. He had the white hair, and he was like a like he was like a fat dude that they just grabbed with white hair, and they just you know threw him in the in the the phone booth and, and brought him over and let him talk. But uh, but no, the dude was ripped like Schwarzenegger ripped, you know, just so that's super interesting. Well, I think that's gonna wrap it up. Uh, yeah. I guess a short research episode, you know, as far as these research episodes go. So I'm pretty happy about that. I mean, granted, we didn't have the guests this week. You know, I think I tried to do one with um, with a a seven year old, but that was difficult. (laughs) It's a a little bit too young, a little bit too young for that. So um, so the episode. Yeah, that's good. All right. So that's going to be episode this week. Um, I wish it was better too, right? So, but it's, but it is what it is. You know, this is a work in progress. This is something we do for free. And, um, time is a motherfucker to come by. It's the most valuable asset we have. So enjoy yourselves and, uh, take care. Love you.